Has someone ever told you, God, you have such a big ego. Your ego is just so huge. Oh my God. What the fuck are they talking about when they say ego? What is the ego? Well, today that's what I'm talking about. Sigmund Freud was the first to popularize the idea of ego in the modern world. He defined it as the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. According to psychotherapist Annette Nunez, the ego is how you identify and what you identify with, like who you are as a person, whether it's gender identity, what your beliefs are, or your morals. Now that we understand ego a little bit better, what I want to talk about is ego death. Now, ego death is kind of an aggressive term. It's kind of scary sounding, but uh, I'm going to kind of go over my thoughts on ego death um, as well as play a lecture by Alan Watts for you. This lecture is titled The Most Important Lesson About the Universe. Goddamn, we better pay attention to this one carefully. In this lecture, look out for when Alan Watts talks about the awakening. Um, I see the awakening and ego death as the same thing, um, or maybe different steps of the same process. Um, Alan Watts talks about what's behind the eyes, and I think that relates very closely to a picture that pops up when you try to identify disassociation. It's it's the picture of the little guy sitting inside the head and looking out. I'm, it's a very popular image. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. When listening to Alan Watts, I find that it takes a few listens through his lectures in order to actually understand what he's talking about. I'm going to try to make it more clear uh, as we go through, but um, again, this is the most important lesson about the universe by Alan Watts. This now moment in which I'm talking and you're listening is eternity. That although we have somehow conned ourselves into the notion that this moment is rather ordinary and that we may not feel very well, and that uh, we're sort of vaguely frustrated and worried and so on, and that it ought to be changed. This is it, so you don't need to do anything at all. But the difficulty about explaining that is that don't, you, you mustn't try not to do anything, because that's doing something. And how to explain that? Because there's nothing to explain, it's the, it, it, it is the way it is now, you see? And if you understand that, it will automatically wake you up. <coughs> That's why Zen teachers use shock treatment to uh, sometimes while they hit people or shout at them or cr create a sudden surprise. Because it is that jolt that <coughs> suddenly brings you here. See, there's no road to here, because you're already there. And if you ask me, how am I going to get here? It'll be like the famous story of the American tourist in England, who asked some yokel the way to Upper Tudnam, a little village. 
And the yokel scratched his head and he said, Well, sir, I do know where it is, but if I were you, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> so, you see, when you ask, how do I attain the knowledge of God? How do I attain nirvana, liberation? All I can say is it's the wrong question. Why do you want to attain it? Because the very fact that you're wanting to attain it is the only thing that prevents you from getting there. You already have it. But of course, uh, it's, it's up to you. It's your privilege to pretend that you don't. That's your game. That's your life game. That's what makes you think you're an ego. And uh, when you want to wake up, you will. Just like that. If you're not awake, it shows you don't want to. You're, you're still playing the hide part of the game. You're still, as it were, the, the, the self, pretending it's not the self. That's what you want to do. So you see, in that way too, you're already there. I wanted to pause here because he said something really interesting. He said, that's what makes you think you're an ego, right? And so maybe the implication would be that an ego death is simply the the dying of this fake thing that we have constructed ourselves right i think that's a that's a pretty good way of looking at it um for me personally i think my ego death was when i had to have a real look at religion and and the reasons why i was practicing religion the reasons I was practicing religion was for my parents and not for me. I was raised religious and, and it was that sort of shock that that awakened me, I guess. Um, and so this sort of ties into depersonalization and disassociation because I think I think that's sort of like a reaction to this ego death where unsure of what to do with ourselves and so it's sort of this jolt awake into feeling yourself as as the being behind the eyes uh, depersonalization can be a very scary experience because you don't really know what you're feeling you feel very disconnected and lost in a sense um i was disassociating from a week at most the time that it, I, it was happening I don't really remember that well but how I sort of snapped out of it is I kind of had to look at myself and and understand that nothing had changed about my view or my body or anything nothing had changed it was it was merely my perspective that had changed right I thought of it as as looking at we've seen the art of things hanging like shapes hanging in a museum and when you walk like around it it changes into a different art thing you know what i'm saying like you stand and look at it from one perspective and it looks like a horse and then you walk around you know 90 degrees and you look at it from another angle and it's a cat something like that Okay, where you're, you're looking at something from a different perspective. And so you see things differently. You're seeing life from the perspective of 
the being behind the eyes. And it can be a very scary experience because when you haven't seen life from this perspective, you know, what is this? What am I? What is that? You know, that these, those are the questions that completely took over whatever I was focused on. It, it literally all went into, okay, what is this behind my eyes? I want to, I want to figure out what that is. And so this is what Alan Watts is talking about this search for, um, for that answer. When you understand this, a funny thing happens and some people uh, misinterpret it. You will discover as this happens that the distinction between voluntary and involuntary behavior disappears. You will realize that what you describe as things under your own will feel exactly the same as things going on outside you. You watch other people moving and you know you're doing that. Just like you're breathing or circulating your blood. If you don't understand what's going on, you're liable to get crazy at this point and to feel that you are God in the Jehovah sense. Say that you actually have power over other people so that you could alter what they're doing and that you are omnipotent in a very crude, literal kind of Bible sense, you see? And uh, a lot of people feel that and they go crazy. They have to put them away. They think they're Jesus Christ and that everybody ought to fall down and worship. That's only they got their wires crossed. They haven't been able to, this experience happened to them, but they don't know how to interpret it. So be careful of that. Jung calls it inflation. People who get the holy man syndrome, that uh, I suddenly discovered that I'm the Lord and that I'm above good and evil and so on, and that, that uh, therefore I start giving myself airs and graces. But the point is everybody else is too. If you discover that you're that, then you ought to know that everybody else is. I wanted to stop and talk about an experience I had on shrooms that sort of sounds like what he's talking about here. So he's talking about this, this holy man syndrome where some people have this feeling that they are God. Um, I think this is a similar feeling to what many people experience on shrooms. I was tripping and it was, I don't, I don't remember what time it was. I sat up in my bed and I had just this sudden realization come over me. And I just simply said to myself, I am. And I just kept like repeating it in my head. I am. And I was looking at my hands and my body and I was just like, I am. It was just this sudden wave came over me. Now this obviously I also knew that everybody was. Nicole walked in the room and she was like looking at me a little confused. And I just said, you are, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like it was just, it was a very, um, very strange feeling. The Bible describes God as the great I am. And in this experience, I felt so clearly 
I am. It's, I mean, it was such a weird clarity. I mean, it was literally like I, it, it wasn't like I was sitting there and thought, oh, you know, maybe, no. Like I sat up, eureka, my head, oh my goodness. Like that's, that was the realization. I am. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> this is making me wonder if <clears throat> Jesus and his life, perhaps he was living his entire life with this complete clarity of what life was. And this is how he was able to live this perfect life. Because in these experiences in which I'm on shrooms, I feel such a love towards everything and everyone. You know, I want to be in nature. I want to, you know, I think about all my friends who I haven't talked to in a long time and I you know, will text them or whatever. Like the feeling that you get, which I can only assume is such a small glimpse. I can only imagine living with that clarity. It, it sort of gives gives me a slight understanding into the mind of a man like Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus is a historical figure. He's in like, it's not that part of the Bible is not made up. That is just a fact. <clears throat> so given that Jesus did live this uh, hypothetical perfect life, whether you believe it or not, um, you have to, you have to wonder his mindset. And so I think the, these experiences help help give a glimpse into that. So I just, I find that interesting, the connection to the holy man syndrome in which <laughs> you think that you are God. That's not quite what I felt my experience was, but I just thought a little similar. Well, for example, let, let's see how in, in other ways you might realize this. Most people think when they open their eyes and look around, that what they are seeing is outside. It seems, doesn't it, that you are behind your eyes and that behind the eyes there is a blank. You can't see at all. Turn around and you see something else in front of you. But behind the eyes there seems to be something that has no color. It isn't dark, it isn't light, it's just, uh, it's there from a tactile standpoint. You can feel it with your fingers, although you don't get inside it. But what is that behind your eyes, you see? Well, actually, when you look out there and see all these people and, and things sitting around, that's how it feels inside your head. The color of this room is back here in the nervous system where the optical nerves are at the back of the head. It's in there. It's what you're experiencing. What you see out here is a neurological experience. Now, if that hits you and you feel sensuously that that's so, you may think that then, then therefore the external world is all inside my skull. But you've got to correct that with the thought that your skull is also in the external world. So you suddenly begin to feel, well, wow, what a kind of a situation is this? It's inside me and I'm inside it and it's inside me and I'm inside it. But that's the way it is. 
This is the, what you could call transaction, rather than interaction, between the individual and the world. Just like, for example, in buying and selling, there cannot be an act of buying unless there's simultaneously an act of selling, and vice versa. So the relationship between the organism and the environment is transactional. The environment grows the organism, and in turn, the organism creates the environment. The organism turns the sun into light, but it requires there to be an environment containing a sun for there to be an organism at all. And the answer to it is simply, they're all one process. And uh, <clears throat> it isn't that organisms by chance came into this world. Put it rather that this world is the sort of environment which grows organisms. It was that way from the beginning. Just in the same way for, I mean, the organisms may in time have arrived in the scene or out of the scene later than the beginning of the scene. But from the moment it went bang in the beginning, that's the way it started. Organisms like us, us sitting here, were involved in it. You see, look here, let's take the, the propagation of an electric current. I can have a, an electric current running through a wire that goes all the way around the earth. And uh, here we have our power source. Here we have a switch. All right. Here's the positive pole. Here's the negative pole. Now, before that switch closes, there is the current doesn't exactly behave like water in a pipe. There isn't current here waiting to jump the gap as soon as the switch is closed. The current doesn't even start until the switch is closed from the positive pole. It never starts unless the point of arrival is there. Now, it'll take an interval for that current to get going and uh, circuit if it's going all the way around the Earth. It's a long run. But the, but the finishing point has to be closed before it will even start from the beginning. In a similar way, although uh, in, in the development of any physical system, there may be billions of years between the creation of the most primitive form of energy and then the arrival of intelligent life. That billions of years is just the same thing as the trip of the current around the wire. It takes a little time. But it's already implied. It takes time for an acorn to turn into an oak. But the oak is already implied in the acorn. And so in any lump of rock floating about in space, there is implicit human intelligence. Sometime, somehow, somewhere, they all go together. So don't differentiate yourself and stand off against this and say, I am a living organism in a world made of a lot of dead junk, rocks and stuff. It all goes together. Those rocks are just as much you as your fingernails. You need rocks. What are you going to stand on? 
What I think, you know, awakening really involves is a re-examination of our common sense. We've got all sorts of ideas built into us which seem unquestioned, obvious. In the last episode, we talked about Nietzsche's work in which he described three phases humans go through in their development. And the first one being the camel, which is weighed down by all sorts of weights that are given to them, usually ideas given to us by whoever raises us. So what Alan Watts is talking about here, this idea of, of awakening involves addressing these ideas. If we look at Nietzsche's work, it would kind of almost seem like an ego death is a necessary part of human development. I feel like I should elaborate a little more on that because <laughs> that's kind of a large statement. Um, I wouldn't say necessary. I think I'm going to change that word. I'm editing this afterwards. I'm going to say possibility. See, because later on, Alan Watts goes on to mention that it's up to us if we want to stay hiding from ourselves or wake up, you know, wow, scare the, you know, sneak up behind yourself. And right. This is the whole nature of hide and seek. And so it's very true that a lot of people go through life without ever having this realization. And a lot of times disassociating is a way of the ego resisting this death. And our speech reflects them. The commonest phrases face the facts as if they were outside you. As if uh, life was something you simply encountered as a foreigner. Face the facts. Our common sense has been rigged, you see, so that we feel strangers and aliens in this world. And this is terribly plausible, simply because it's what we're used to. That's the only reason. But when you really start questioning this, Say, is that the way I have to assume life is? I know everybody does, but does that make it true? It doesn't necessarily. It ain't necessarily so. And so then you, as, as you question this basic assumption that underlies our culture, you find you get a new kind of common sense. It becomes absolutely obvious to you that you are continuous with the universe. For example, people used to believe that the people who lived in the antipodes would fall off. And that was scary. But then when somebody sailed around the world and we all got used to it, and now we, we travel around in jet planes and everything, we have no problem about feeling that the earth is globular. None whatever. 
we got used to it. So in the same way, Einstein's relativity theories, the curvature of the propagation of light, that began to bother people when Einstein started talking like that. But now we're all used to it. Well, in a few years, it will be a matter of common sense to very many people that they are one with the universe. It'll be so simple. And then maybe, if that happens, we shall be in a position to handle our technology with more sense. So what part of me is the ego? And what part of me is not the ego is the question. Um, you know, I look at myself as, as two parts. I see the body that I am in and the, the conscious driver of the body. However, there is another level of our mind, which is the unconscious. Uh, I'm just now starting to research this topic. Uh, Carl, Carl Jung has done extensive research on it. So I'm just now reading his book, um, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. I'm just now starting that book. Um, he talks a lot about our unconscious mind and how the human's goal is to understand and connect the unconscious mind with the conscious mind. You can kind of see um, where this comes into play how on uh, your unconscious reactions are different than your conscious reactions. Now, this is actually how I conquered anger, how I, how I ended up managing my anger. I had a, I had a pretty bad anger problem early on. I had to look at my emotions from a different perspective and understand that these emotions are irrational and just my body reacting to something and I have to make a conscious reaction or, or I have to make a conscious decision on on my actions. Joe Rogan just recently had uh, Sadha Guru on. Very fascinating episode. I recommend you go listen to it. He talks about being a conscious action in the world or an, or an unconscious reaction. Uh, he also talks about being enslaved to um, the words that people speak to you. And if you think about it, it happens all the time. If someone were to say something to you in a language you don't understand and nod and smile and say something, whatever they say, it doesn't matter to me. I'm like, nice they're smiling whatever they could be calling me the dirtiest nastiest shit it doesn't matter and so we see there that the pain comes from me and not the person the person saying the words does nothing the pain comes from you and so once you understand that why would you ever enslave yourself to the words that someone else says i've seen uh videos on TikTok of people like saying they smoked weed and, and have been disassociating for like six years or something like that. It's crazy for me to like think about that and try to understand that from their perspective, they have completely shifted and have not gone back in years and don't, they probably don't even know what it feels like to be normal. Right. And so this kind of makes me think, is that how I am? You know, am I 
just in a disassociative state. And I think that's that like panic is what locks people in that disassociation state. They think, oh my gosh, I'm in a different place in my head. I don't know how to move in my head. I can only move my body. How do I move this part of me? And what I had to, I mean, I already talked about this earlier. I just came to the realization that, you know, there are two parts of me and I have to spend time and energy on both. So I've started going, you know, spending more time being mindful of my higher mind, um, meditating and, and what have you. So I, 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 that would be my recommendation. If you're struggling with disassociation or depersonalization, embrace it. You know, the, this, this is you. So now we've done a whole bunch of talking and, uh, well, what is an ego? Um, you know, when, when people say, you have such a big ego. They mean to say that you think too much of yourself and you need to be humbled. And the ego death is one of the most humbling experiences because you realize how little control you've had over your life. And now you have to kind of start over from square one and rebuild. But it ends up being a really good experience because everything you build is yours. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, make sure to leave a review on Spotify and uh, tell your friends.